0: Bye, kids. Have a great time in Kids City. Okay, here's your topic. Uh, this is July 4th week, so with somebody around you, the people around you, uh, hopefully you know, here's what I want you to talk about real quick. One, your favorite thing to eat on July 4th. Your favorite thing to Not with me, with the people next to you. Your favorite thing to eat. That's your, that's your less than serious topic. Here's your serious topic. I want you to talk about The things that you like to eat on July 4th, but also, this is when we talk about freedom. I want you, if you're willing, to share at least one thing that Jesus has set you free from in your life. One thing. For me, it was being a Tar Heel fan. Hallelujah, he set me free. He set me free. Hallelujah. All right, go ahead. You got a few minutes here. Favorite things to eat on July 4th and something that Jesus has set you free from, if you're comfortable sharing that. Go. Go. Okay, so just out of curiosity, this has nothing to do with the message, but what are some things that you like to eat for July 4th? I already heard hot dog. Grilled hot dog. That's right. You've got to make a difference because boiled hot dogs not nearly as good. Grilled corn, on the cob. grilled corn on the cob. Anybody else feeling grilled corn on the cob? Okay, you got some friends. I was not sure about that. Steak. Really? Who likes steak on July 4th? Who likes steak at any time? Okay, yeah. Anytime. Even on February the 30th, I like steak. (laughs) Barbecued ribs, watermelon. What'd I hear? Funnel cake. Funnel cake. Do you make your own funnel cake for July 4th? Really? Wow, I know where I'm going. Funnel cakes, fantastic. Anything else? Strawberry pie, we heard watermelon a couple times, ice cream, homemade ice cream, okay. I said we go eat now, (laughs) got y'all, I'm drooling up here. Um, Just out of curiosity, if anyone wants to say you don't have to, but things that you've been set free from, Jesus has set you free from, I already shared mine, Tar Heel fan, that was, Drugs drugs and alcohol, smoking, smoking what insecurity worry, religion, religion? yourself okay immaturity. immaturity talking about me <laughs> 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 yeah should very should that was very mature, didn't it yeah all right, well, so, okay, this morning we are in Acts chapter 19. We're finishing that up. Um, 2012 was a great year because Disney introduced us to a character with freakishly large hands. His name was Wreck-It Ralph. I don't know if you saw the movie or not, but Ra- Ralph was a character in an arcade game called Fix-It Felix Jr., and his job was to wreck things, which is why he was called Wreck-It Ralph, because he wrecked things. So in a movie, here's what happens. I'm trying not to give it away. He gets treated very badly because he wrecks things, and he starts wanting to be the hero. So I'm going to show you a short clips, so you can kind of see how, how things go in his life. Um, they're having this big 30th anniversary party because the game is turning 30 years old, and we're going to show you this clip just so you get a feel for Ralph's world. You Here we go. really outdone yourself, Mary. Oh, and look all of us at the top. Each apartment is everyone's favorite flavor. Norwood's is red velvet. Guilty! (laughs) And lemon for Lucy, rum cake for Jean, and for Felix. Hey, Mary, um, what's the flavor of that mud that I'm stuck in there? Hmm? Oh, uh, chocolate. Never been real fond of chocolate. (laughs) Well, I did not know that. One other little thing, I hate to be picky, but you know, this angry little guy here oh uh, might be a lot happier if you put him up here with everyone else. See that? Look at that smile. No, no, no. You see, Ralph, there's no room for you up here. <laughs> well, what about this? We can make room here. We could take turns. Easy. <gasps> how about? We just eat the cake. Hang on. Felix needs to be on the roof because he's about to get his medal. Well, then how about we just take that medal? And give it to Ralph for once, would that be the end of the world, Gene? Now you're just being ridiculous. Only good guys win medals, and you, sir, are no good guy. I could be a good guy if I wanted to, and I could win a medal. Uh-huh. And when you do, come and talk to us. And then would you finally let me be on top of the cake with you guys? If you want a medal, we'd let you live up here in the penthouse. But it will never happen, because you're just the bad guy who wrecks the building. No. I'm not. Yes, you are. No! Yes, you are. All right, Gene. You know what? I'm gonna win a medal. Oh, I am gonna win a medal. The shiniest medal this place has ever seen. A medal that will be so good that it will make Felix's medals whip their pants. And good night. Thank you for the party. Is he serious? Oh, please, where's a bad guy gonna win a medal? Of course he's not serious. Okay, that's Ralph. Um, this morning, my goal is not to make you wanna watch the movie, although who's not seen, <clears throat> who has not seen Wreck-It Ralph? You're gonna wanna see it, it's a great movie. Great movie, but here's my goal, okay, this morning. I think that Ralph is a really good metaphor for something else, something else that gets misunderstood, something else that seems to wreck things. And the metaphor that Ralph is good for is the gospel. I want you to take your pen. I want you to write at the top of your sheet. Here's the big idea. The gospel is a glorious wrecking ball. Now, I want you to write down, even though right now your head's going, what? This doesn't make any sense. The gospel is a glorious wrecking ball. Let me tell you how I got to that conclusion from our passage in Acts 19. Um, Just the last two weeks we've been spending time in what we have called the chapter most likely to be voted, most likely to freak people out, right? So here's just a recap of what we've seen. If you've not been here for the last two weeks, here's what you've missed. And when I read it, you'll be like, (laughs) glad I missed those. We've read about people speaking in tongues. We've read about fabric healing people. We've read about a demon that turned seven men into streakers. That was a great one. We've read about a town that burned so much occult paraphernalia that it was worth 7.1 billion, everybody say billion? Dollars. It's a lot. It's a big bonfire. Okay? That's all just in the first half of Acts 19. So Paul has been a part of all this, and um, he kind of decides in verse 21, it says, after all this has happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. So he's like, you know, a lot going on. I think I'm just going to kind of exit stage left. I need a break. You ever feel like you need a break? Paul's like, I need a break. There's a lot going on here. And so he starts to take off for Jerusalem. And if we're watching a movie, this is the part of the movie where you say to each other, hey, you go get the popcorn, I'll go get the drinks. And somebody's like, and I'm going to the bathroom. Like this is the bathroom break, right? Because finally all the drama's over and he's going to travel to Jerusalem except for verse 23. It says this, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. So if anybody has earned a day off, it would be Paul, right? So he decides to kind of take a break, take a bit of a day off. And as soon as he decides to take a day off, about that time, there arose a great disturbance in the force. I'm sorry, about the way. Wrong Bible. So here's what I want you to see, that the gospel... The very nature of the gospel is to wreck things. Here's three things the gospel wrecks. The first one's the most important for us right now. You got blanks to fill in. Here we go. The gospel wrecks our ideas about the gospel. The gospel wrecks our ideas about the gospel. Most of us don't sit around thinking about it. Most of us don't sit around and go, I wonder exactly what the gospel is or what it does. But here's some of the thoughts that we have about the gospel, whether we think we do or not. Because when I say them, you'll be like, yeah, I think I've thought that once or twice. Here's a couple of them. The gospel makes God happy with us. The gospel gives us peace. The gospel makes things better. Most of us would shake our heads and go, yeah, I think that's probably true. But that's not what verse 23 says. Verse 23 wrecks those ideas. It says a great disturbance grew because of the gospel. So in verse 23, the gospel didn't bring peace. It instigates a riot, which isn't good news for me because I'm preaching the gospel, right? So at any moment you could turn on me. And we could have, a, it would be exciting, and people would hear about it. You should go to the gathering like they pummel the preacher. It's awesome, unless you're the preacher. The gospel didn't bring peace, it instigates a right. It did not make Paul's life better, because he'd already planned on leaving. And now he finds himself getting insider information on how to stay away from the mob. Look at verses 29 to 31. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. Acts 19, verse 29. The people seized Gaius and another guy with a less gayest name. Paul's traveling companion from Macedonia and rushed just one man into the theater. Now, this is not Eastgate Cinemas, okay? Like, Man of Steel, Premiere, let's all rush into the theater. This was the place in Ephesus that held 25,000 people. So they all rushed. That's a mob, right? <laughs> they all rush like one man into the theater. Paul, because he's crazy, verse 30, we already know about Paul. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province who were friends of Paul sent him a message, probably not a text message, begging him not to venture into the theater. Dude, don't go to the movies. Stay away from the theater. He's getting insider information. The mob is that mad, that angry, that out of control. Paul's like, look, I'll just go preach the gospel some more. Like, no, 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 you're not going. If you go in there, they will kill you. It's like when we were in Rio. And we're driving past this huge favela, and it's my first mission trip there, and I'm just like, you know, well, let's just go preach the gospel to everybody. And the missionary said, but not there. Why not? I mean, I'm from the south. Everybody loves everybody. RC colon peanuts. Come on, man. I'll just tell them, how's it going? He goes, if you walk in there, you'll die. They'll kill you. I'm coming to help them. What do you mean? They'll kill you. That's what it was like here. Do not go to the theater, Paul. They will kill you. So this is all because of the gospel. This is the disturbance. This is the disturbance that arose about the way. There's such a disturbance that they're like, you know what? If you go in that theater, there's 25,000 people waiting to kill you. They will not even ask you questions. They will just kill you, period. That's the gospel. It didn't make his life better. So what exactly is the gospel? It is about God stepping into our world to free us from sin, right? Yes, it's not a trick question. It is about God stepping into our world to free us from sin. But what does that mean he has to do first? It means he has to confront your sin. Do you all like that? I don't like that. I don't like when God points out in my life things that I need to change. So you can see right away that the gospel has a bit of a wrecking ball mentality. It comes to wreck things. Let me give you plenty of scripture. You can just jot these down because it's totally okay for you to be confused right now. Because this is not the kind of way, this is not really how we think about the gospel, okay? Here's a few scriptures. The gospel wrecks our thought life, Isaiah 55, 8. Isaiah writes, God, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. So if God's thoughts are up here and our thoughts are down here and he wants to change our thoughts, then what does he have to do? Kind of wreck our thoughts. Which is why in 2 Corinthians 10.5 it says that we're supposed to take captive the thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Jesus. It's a wrecking thing going on here. Romans 12.2. Says that we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, some of us look at the person next to you. Some of this, it might take us longer to renew our minds, because y'all are smart. For me, probably didn't take that long, right? Renew your mind. The gospel wrecks our thought life. The gospel wrecks our relationships. You're gonna have to turn to this one, because if I if I read it, you won't believe me. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. It's one of those things that you read and it says that Jesus said it, and then you have to read it again because you're like, what? There's no way that's in here. It's a great passage of Scripture to make you want to find another church. Here we go. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I mean, how many of you right now, just me reading that, it just shattered your whole Christmas thing, right? Just shattered it. Jesus said, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I mean, his enemies will be the members of his own household. He wrecks our relationships. Listen, it doesn't mean that he's not the prince of peace. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want us to have peace with him and, and, and take care of our sin. Yes, absolutely. But Jesus did not come. So that we could sing kumbaya and, sing, and, sing, and eat s'mores with everybody in the world. Which is really good news, right? Because look around the room. There's people in here that you don't like. And so you're like, I don't know, if, can I go to the same church with somebody that I don't really like? Well, he didn't come to make us all buddies. He came to bring a sword. His gospel wrecks things. The gospel wrecks the status quo. Matthew 11:12 says that the kingdom of God advances by force. So let's not think for a moment that the gospel is about sitting back and chilling. The gospel makes everything better. Here in Acts 19:23 we see the opposite. The gospel disturbs things. And for most of us, that's a little bit disturbing. The gospel is not a call to safety. It's a call to surrender your life to a king so he can use your life to bring in his kingdom. Okay, so do we at least have that? Even if you don't really like it, don't agree with it, the gospel does wreck our idea about the gospel. And Now, here's two specific things that it wrecks in this passage. It wrecks our value systems. That's number two. The gospel wrecks our value systems. In all of Acts, there's two times that Paul finds himself the target of a Gentile mob. In this passage and in Acts 16. And both times it's over money. Y'all ever fight over money? Yeah, sometimes, just a little bit. Um, how many of you did Dave Ramsey? Let me see your hands. How many of you fought over the budget? <laughs> Every hand is still up. You just, that's just the way we are with money, right? We just start to fight over money sometimes. So let's not kid ourselves. If we truly yield our lives to Jesus, we will also probably yield our wallets. Our buying habits change. Our jobs could change. just like in Ephesus, there are people who make money on sin, and the last thing they want is to see people's value systems change because it will change the way they spend their money. I found this as an interesting fact. In Nevada, 13% of their state's income comes from sin. Most of it's gambling, right? In Nevada, 13%. So let me ask you this question. You are on the board of the finances of Nevada. Do you want people to get saved and stop gambling? No, you do not, because you don't want to lose 13% of your annual budget. Alcohol. Anybody got any idea how much we spend as a country every year on alcohol? More than $5. $100 billion. $100 billion our country spends on alcohol alone. So would that industry be happy if suddenly we had less to drown our sorrows about? No. No. They don't want us to become Christians. They don't want people to follow Jesus. They don't want people, the gospel would wreck that. It would wreck that value system. Here's my favorite, porn. What if men and women got a healthy Jesus-centered identity and stopped spending money on porn? Do you know how much money that brings in? The porn industry alone in one year brings in more money than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. So do you think that industry wants you and I To see ourselves the way Jesus does? No. If we suddenly had the revival that we're praying for, it will wreck the value system in our country. When I went to India the first time, I found out that the Hindus in India do not want people to come to know Jesus. And I was like, well, of course they don't because it's a whole different, like, that's a whole different master, it's a whole different savior. Like, no, 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 we don't care about that. If they come to know Jesus, it will ruin the entire economic structure of our country. See, here in Acts 19, there's a man named Demetrius. And he makes idols to a god, a goddess. And he knows if people come to know Jesus, and they are coming to know Jesus because Paul was so good, he convinced not only Ephesus, but he says in verse 26, almost the whole province of Asia. He convinces them that this is not a god. Jesus is who you need to serve. And so he's losing money. His business is going out of business because people don't want to buy idols anymore. And this is exactly what happened in America, exactly what would happen in America when people start to give their hearts to Jesus. It wrecks our value system. So let me ask you this question because maybe we're not doing porn and we're not drinking and we're not gambling. I don't think we're going to Nevada to gamble. But your value systems will change when you come to know Jesus suddenly spending time with your children is more important than playing a game suddenly a family vacation is a mission trip how many of you have ever taken your family on a mission trip for your vacation suddenly the dollar that you're going to go that you're going to give becomes 10 let me give you a good picture turn to philippians chapter 3 philippians chapter 3 it's a great picture of a value system being wrecked by the gospel philippians chapter 3 verses 7 to 11 here's what paul writes whatever was to my profit, i now consider loss for the sake of christ what is more i consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing christ jesus my lord for whose sake i have lost all things i consider them rubbish that i may gain christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul's saying this, I mean, the things that mattered to my life before, they do not matter now. The only thing that matters to me is that I may know Christ. What's Paul spending his money on when he writes that? His value system has changed. He no longer cares about the things he used to care about. Now all that thing is it's still all rubbish. The gospel wrecks our value systems. And here's the third one. The gospel wrecks our religious practices. Verse 27 in Acts says this. Acts 19, verse 27. He says there's a danger, not this Demetrius talking, there's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name and will lose money but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Here's what that means. It it means the people would no longer come to the temple to worship this goddess. It means that they'll no longer be able to buy the idols that, that build personal shrines in their homes. And so just to sum it up, it means this. The gospel will wreck our religious practices. Look at the person next to you. Do they look religious to you? Um, No, not necessarily. Maybe. How do we know, right? Do they look religious? Maybe not. Religion is a great thing until you meet Jesus. Here's what religion does. Religion does not ask for your life. It just asks for a part of your life. Religion does not require your heart. It just requires your actions. It doesn't require that you even agree. It just requires that you appear like you agree. And the best one of all, religion is great because it allows us to look and feel changed without actually being changed. Now look at the person next to you. Are they really changed? Do they just appear changed? <laughs> James holding up his pillow out there. He don't want anybody look at him. The gospel thankfully wrecks that here's a couple things to jot down religion is about us the gospel is about jesus religion points other people to our good works the gospel points people to jesus's good work on the cross religion validates me the gospel vilifies me now vilify that's a word we don't use a lot we probably should right you should walk in like pay for your gas and give your money to somebody and say you just vilified me vilify means like really to make somebody a villain and the gospel makes us the villain it says it's our sin that's why the gospel's needed because of our sin religion validates me the gospel vilifies me religion comforts me but the gospel challenges me Matthew 16 let's turn there Matthew 16 we find a picture of of religious practices being wrecked by the gospel. Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Albemarle and build the biggest, best church ever. Is that what it says? (laughs) Some of you are like, I got to get that Bible. I like that Bible. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, how many of you would agree that that one verse sums up the gospel? That Jesus came, he suffered and died, and he was raised again. That's the gospel. And Peter's response to the gospel, the gospel that is one glorious wrecking ball, his response is, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter suddenly got really, really courageous, really bold, and he rebuked Jesus. Would you like to do that? I'm not signing up for that gig, right? Uh, Hey, Jesus, uh, come to Rebuking 101. We'll practice on you. Not going to happen. But Peter took Jesus aside at least he took him aside and did it properly, and began to rebuke him never this shall never happen to you and Jesus turned and said to Peter get behind me Satan it's not a good day when Jesus calls you the devil that's not a good day you are a stumbling block to me I want you to get that apparently it's possible to be a stumbling block to Jesus Now, we're used to being a stumbling block to other people. But Peter became a stumbling block to Jesus. He became a stumbling block to the gospel. Jesus said, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here's the picture of a religious practice being wrecked by the gospel. Peter and the gang had this great gig, right? They're walking around with a trending Jesus, hashtag Savior of the world. And he is the thing, man. He's it. People love Jesus. Crowds follow him everywhere he goes. And Jesus says in that moment, guess what? This isn't going to continue because I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to die and I have to be raised again. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Let's not mess this up. You're talking about dying. Look around, Jesus. There are lots of people that want you. You are their king. Religion loves things to stay the same. And Peter says, Jesus, don't go mess this up. Don't bring the cross into this. Have you noticed that the cross tends to mess things up a little bit? So Jesus talks about a cross, and Peter rebukes Jesus because the cross would wreck what they had going on because the gospel is a glorious wrecking ball. Jesus calls Peter the devil, which probably wrecked peter and then he called him and us to follow him through total surrender if you read the history of how the disciples died you'll see that they were wrecked by the gospel so let me see if i can make all this make sense the gospel is a glorious wrecking ball it wrecks our ideas about the gospel it wrecks our value system. It wrecks our religious practices. In, in short, it, it wrecks our lives. And if I've made you see that clearly, if I've done a good job <laughs> sweating on, if I've done a good job this morning of helping you see that, then here's what you're thinking about the gospel. You are thinking about the gospel the same thing that the characters in Fix-It Felix it, Jr. thought about Wreck-It Ralph. No, you're a bad guy. You, can, you just wreck things. Now do you start to see why people love church but don't always love the gospel. Because the gospel feels like all it does is get in the way. And if we had <clears throat> the courage of Peter, we might even say to Jesus, I rebuke you. You're getting in my way. Why don't you just be the good Jesus that everybody loves and preach about butterflies and harps and little baby wings on the back that we can sit on clouds and eat s'mores together. You just be that, Jesus, and I'm cool with that. But don't you start being the Jesus that talks about crosses and denying yourself and following me. Because if you do that, you're going to wreck what we got going on, Jesus. Don't you see what's going on? Jesus, like Ralph, becomes a big goon. That just gets in the way and wrecks stuff. Here's the truth. In the end, it's a bit of a spoiler alert, sorry. But it is Disney, so you know it's going to work out well. Ralph, even though he wrecked everything, that's the very thing that allowed him to restore a game back to what it was originally intended to be. And that is what the gospel does. It wrecks us. So that we can become what we're supposed to be. Let me give you some scriptures. I want to make sure that you see this. Jeremiah 1.10. Just about done. Jeremiah one ten. This is when God's calling Jeremiah to go be a prophet. Um, let's just start in verse 9. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth. Jeremiah was talking and said to me, Now I've put my words in your mouth. Verse 10. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. So he's appointed by God. And here's what he's appointed to do to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, let me just give you a little practical advice, okay? If you're ever a pastor and you get called to candidate at a church for their job, don't lead with that, okay? Don't do that. Don't sit down and when say, hey, Paul, what can you do for our church? Well, I'll tell you what. Guys, now that you mention that, I feel like I've been called here by God to uproot and destroy. (laughs) Because before you can even get to the build and plant, you're out. They're overthrowing you. Um, Let's get you out. We got anybody named Joel. Come on, bring him in. They don't want to hear that. Don't lead with that. Hey, you're not going to be a pastor, right? You're just going to work at a job. Don't go to a job interview with that. Um, hey, what are you here for? Well, listen, um, I've, I've kind of walked around and noticed the way you do things in your plant, not the best, so I'm going to ruin all that so I can help you be better. Don't leave with that. This is not what people like to hear, but this is exactly what the gospel does. Jeremiah thirty-one twenty-eight, towards the end of this book, keeping in mind what we just read, this is God talking. In verse 27, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the offspring of men and of animals. That's, I don't know what that's about, babies and puppies. Verse 28, God's talking, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down and to overthrow, destroy, and bring disasters, Does this sound familiar? Does this sound a lot like the verse we just read with Jeremiah? So I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. So not only did he call and appoint Jeremiah to go and overthrow stuff and rip stuff up and then build and plant. God says right here, he was overseeing the whole thing. He was watching over the whole process, which is really good news when you're being uprooted. Because God's involved in that whole process. Hosea 6.1, you can jot that one down as well. God says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Here's what I want you to remember, two statements. I don't want you to forget them. at the bottom of your sheet. I want you to fill in the two blanks. I don't want you to ever forget these, okay? Number one, the gospel wrecks us to rebuild us. The gospel wrecks us to rebuild us. How many of you have ever been in military service? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have ever been on a really competitive, good athletic team? Raise your hand. Okay. So you have two things in common. Jerks for coaches and drill sergeants. And it is their job to tear you down so they can build you up. We don't like to talk about the gospel like that. But that's what the gospel does. I mean, you read your Bible, right? And when you read your Bible, do you ever, sometimes we read the Bible and go, oh, that's my life verse, right? But sometimes we read the Bible, and if we're honest, we read it and go, oh, I'm not highlighting that one. I'm not going to journal about that one. I'm going to act like I never read that one. But that's what the gospel does. The gospel is a glorious wrecking ball. Just like Wreck-It Ralph, it wrecks us. It tears us down so that it can rebuild us. That's the good news. John 10.10 says that there is a thief, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm um, not sure if I'll ever preach this message, but someday maybe I will. I have a, a message called, Who Needs the Devil When I Have You? And it's based on that verse. And the, the basic idea of that message is, The devil doesn't need to show up in our church to steal, kill, and destroy because we're taking care of that for him. We're stealing, killing, and destroying our own selves. Great message. I should probably whip it out and preach that one. I got a country song to go with it and everything. It's fantastic. (laughs) But here's what I want you to understand. The gospel wrecks us to rebuild us. But according to John 10.10, the devil wrecks us to remove us. So if you're smart, and I know all of you are, you've already figured something out. Wait, wait. The gospel wrecks us. The devil wrecks us. There's something common there, right? And what is it? We're going to get wrecked. It's probably not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. We're going to get wrecked. Now look at the person next to you. And you can tell, have they been wrecked? <laughs> well, I didn't want to say anything, but they do kind of smell bad. It's just a matter of time before we get wrecked. And so here's the thing. The only difference between being, between being removed and rebuilt is simply who holds the hammer and who holds the pieces. That's it. When we give both of those to Jesus, he's able to rebuild us the way that we were intended to be all along. Not that I'm saying you should go home and make this your daily prayer. Wreck me, Jesus, you know. But when Carrie Underwood was singing Jesus Take the Wheel, I think if we really give him the wheel, he's going to drive us maybe a different place than we expected. Because none of us is choosing this. We choose the car wash. He chooses the body shop, the chop shop, so he can take us apart and rebuild us the way that we were intended to be. That's good news for you and I. Because some of us this morning were here and we're wrecked, right? Sometimes we're wrecked because of things that we've done, sometimes we're wrecked because of things that other people do to us. Sometimes we actually and this is rare, are wrecked like Paul because we've actually preached the gospel. I mean, most of us, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I'm including myself here, most of us don't relate to that. We don't get wrecked because we did the right thing. We typically get wrecked because we did stupid things. Like run the red light and then woo, 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 woo. You're sitting in the car going, Satan, this is Satan, this is Satan. No, it's you. You're stupid. <laughs> you ran a red light. You were impatient and ran a red light, and they you're going to get a ticket, and the, the policeman's not the devil. He's God stopping you from being stupid until so you won't do it again and kill somebody at the next intersection. We, we don't relate to being wrecked for the right thing. We typically can re- relate to being wrecked for the wrong things. So if we just don't do anything else this morning, let's just admit this. Most of us hold wrecked pieces in our hands. Most of us have wreckage in our own life. Whether you wrecked yourself or you're wrecked because of circumstances. I know um, we were talking earlier about, about Dalton McSwain. I mean, I know that's that happened this week here. Somebody just he's, He was here now. He's gone, and that, that'll that wreck you, won't it? If you know somebody like that and say he's gone, that'll wreck you. I know some other people this week. This was a week that wrecked them. It's not hard to become wrecked. But for some reason, it can be hard to take those wrecked pieces and say, You know what? If Satan holds these pieces, he will remove me. That's his goal. But if I give them to Jesus, he can rebuild me the way that I was intended to be from the very beginning. That is the gospel according to Ralph. And it all starts with us accepting the fact that the gospel is a glorious wrecking ball.